Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Ryan Sawyer. He inspires educators across the country as a founder of Magnify Learning, a PBL professional development organization that equips educators to engage learners, tackle boredom, and transform classrooms. Prior to founding Magnify Learning, Ryan was an engineer for a Fortune 50 company, eighth grade English teacher, and missionary. He shares his education and leadership highlights through PBL Simplified, the book, which was released in January of this year. He also has a YouTube channel and hosts a podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Uh, thanks, Dana. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to go out. Yeah. So my trench, uh, I just left engineering and jumped into middle school. So I was at a large urban middle school um, that had a failing state grade. And I taught traditionally for four years and didn't see the results that I thought we should see, like the reason I left engineering to go into education. And I, so I was in the right place. I was trying to get relationships, but I wasn't seeing the final results. I was very data-driven, right, as a geeky engineer. And so project-based learning came along and it flipped the switch for my kids. The kids in the classroom, like I had kids that were turning things in that had never turned things in before. I had learners that wanted to talk to the community partners that came in and things seemed awesome. Like this is why I moved from engineering into education but the trench was that my colleagues did not see it the same way. I don't know if it was change or something different, if it was threatening, whatever it was. Uh, there were some portions of administration that didn't like it. And I wasn't a full lone wolf. Like we had nine teachers that were in the seventh and eighth grade, you know, all those core subjects. We gave them project-based learning their, their whole day that they were with us. But eventually, like we got to evaluation time and that didn't, necessarily go well. I thought it went great, but the people evaluating me saw it differently. And I ended up in a place where I was in front of uh, a bunch of my colleagues and administrators and was having to answer for really great results, actually. Like we, if you looked at the results, we had attendance was a percent and a half higher with 25% of the kids. And we only had 8% of the discipline and an F school would have been a B, but I was still being called out on the carpet. So it was, it was a really strange, confusing trench to be in of like, hey, I think I'm doing my life's work and kind of being reprimanded for it. Um, so, you know, I, hopefully it's encouraged. I'm, I came out of that trench, right? Like we eventually, like this is what we do. And we set parameters and we built bridges for people to be able to understand what we were doing. And now we get to help people all across the country uh, bringing project-based learning into their classrooms. But there was definitely a, a strange kind of confusing trench for me that um, had some great colleagues that helped me out of that trench. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like at the time, they really didn't understand what PBL was, even though you had those good results and attendance was really increasing. And I think it's kind of common in education. They're, you know, if they don't understand it, or if they don't know, um, they don't have the data, right, then they're, they, they steer yep. away from it a lot of the time. And it's great that you had colleagues who supported you as you started, like you said, it was kind of this grassroots movement that now yeah. led to the work with Magnify Learning. 
Yeah, that's really spot on is it was just mm -hmm. something different. And, you know, again, I'm a really data driven person. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's why engineering like made sense for me. Yeah. But eventually, and I liked engineering, but it was uh, my two favorite days were when we would go uh, work with United Way in an after school program, work with these kids. And it's like, ah, that's my true calling, right? So it's like, I found this true calling, but it was so different. Uh, the part that kind of baffled me for a while was that we were a failing school. And it, it, we know that the state test is not everything, but there were some things that needed to change. And so we brought some change. It was just, it wasn't welcomed by most. So Hopefully that's an encouragement to those that are out there, you know, in their trench, which I know is your, your calling and your voice here on the podcast mm -hmm. is like, mm -hmm. it's in that trench. But one thing I love about teachers is that we do support each other. So you find those colleagues mm -hmm. that you, that will listen to you, will support you uh, and, and help you through that trench. And I think that's really, uh, I think that's really the, the bright spot of my story. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me about like how modified learning, um, has really um, evolved from its inception to where it is today. You said you had you have about 30 to 40 teachers who train uh, and um, give professional development with Magnify Learning. Yeah, great question. So it very grassroots, like you were, you've kind of already mentioned. It's we started as teachers teaching teachers. Like we were we were in the classroom doing project based learning. It was like, hey, this worked for me. So hey, school an hour and a half away. What what's working for you? And then another school an hour and a half away. So then we started getting together. We had a conference and. It was free. You bought your own lunch. We all got together and just traded, you know, tactics, things that were working, tools that we built. And out of that work, there was kind of some grant money that was in there somewhere. And then out of that work, we've now started Magnify Learning. We've been doing this about seven years, seven plus years. And it's really the same model. It's this three-day workshop because we found out project-based learning is really a mindset. It's not a set of tools, right? So you can go to the Magnify Learning website right now and get the free tools, but it's really the mindset that's really important. And that takes multiple days, right? It's not the one and done PD. We generally know that that one and done PD doesn't work, but it's really the same process of teachers teaching teachers. So we have the same model now that we're all across the country is we still have teachers that are in the classroom that are running that training. So when you ask our, our trainers, well, what does this look like in a kindergarten classroom? They pull up their agenda of what they did last year in a kindergarten classroom. And the same thing happens in AP biology. Like, well, does this really work in AP courses? Yeah, here's my agenda. Here's how I do that. Right. So that's the grassroots piece that we've been able to hold on to with our model that I think makes it so effective is that it's still it's boots on the ground teachers collaborating and working with boots on the ground teachers. Because when we go in, you know, it's magnify learning, not replace learning. Like, right. So we want to help you magnify what you're doing. We're not coming in and saying that this is going to work for you. It's we come in and say what's going to work for you. And then we co-create that in a way that you can then sustainably move forward. And it's just been really exciting work. Yeah, and I really like how you tell me about like it's magnifying what people are already doing in the classroom, right? Um, and the fact that like it isn't a one and done, right? I mean, there's all there's a lot of PBL um, books, there's a lot of um, sessions that people have at conferences, but it's not going in there and just learning something in a breakout session. I think it's yeah that continuous learning, the working with consultants, uh, having those trainers come out, maybe work with your school. Um, so if a teacher is interested and maybe they've been doing some project-based learning, but they're interested in maybe working with a particular set of students that they have, or, um, you know, they might have a class with a lot of disciplinary issues, how can a student be transformed or maybe a group of difficult students be transformed through PBL, like similar to your story? Yeah. So the authenticity is what make is what forms the, tr the transformation for students. It answers the age-old question of why. Why do we need to learn this? 
And once we start solving real world problems, then suddenly the why is very, it's very obvious. And I always say you want to try to move the why as close to the student as you can. So if you look at, you know, the typical answer is we say you need this for college. Well, that's way too far away for any of our students, right? Like even as adults, we can't really see three years away, really. So how do we move some of these things closer? So in, if you look at like, say, an environmental piece, like, hey, we should improve the environment. That's still pretty far away, right? So how can we help clean up our local park so that it's safe for kids to play softball there? Well, that why just moved up really, really close, right? Like that is in our backyard. It's something we can do right now. And we can even see the results this summer when people are playing softball. So when, when I switched to this model, and for a while I was doing it in my own classroom, not in like a school within a school or some piece like that, I had learners that would normally like get a 20% for the entire semester. They're suddenly fighting over garbage in the park to like get the most, right? Because they had to create a bar graph and they were gonna make a pitch to the city council. And like, so they wanted to have the most data, which happened to be garbage and recyclables at the time, right? So now these kids that, you know, in most classes wouldn't even put their head up. Now they're literally fighting over garbage and recyclables so they have the best bar graph so they can make the best presentation. So, and that transformation actually happens really quick because especially I think those CDF learners that maybe don't know how to get all the points or aren't as good at the game of school, they really want the why. And as soon as you show it to them, they jump on it. So any, I think any teacher, even in a single classroom, we kind of call them a lone wolf. Like you can get, you know, you can get a book, you can get some planning resources, you know, all for under 20 bucks and you could start. And I think you see it very, very quickly. You said you have a story about a student named Skylar. Um, he's now a photographer. So tell a little bit yeah. about that student. Oh, Skylar's, Skylar's that kid that everybody listening has in their classroom where you have at some point. He had straight A's like kindergarten through third grade. Mm -hmm. And in third grade, he realized that if you didn't do any work, that you still got like several meals a day and you could yeah. hang out with your skater buddies as, as much as you wanted. Right. And you don't have to do any work. So he did that. Well, tie. And now it was like, now I know why I'm going to learn this. So we said, hey, there are parents that will go to the doctor's office today and they're going to find out that their child has a genetic disease. There's always a first day. And they want to know two things. Number one, is my child going to be okay? Number two, they want to know everything there is to know about that genetic disease. Hey, Skylar and other classmates, do you want to help these parents who just found out their kid has a genetic disease? Well, all the Skylars of the world put their head up and say, yeah, I, I want to help. Okay, great. Well, here are some of the things we need to do. And we hand him a rubric, right? That's still rigorous work. And he says, well, what's the Punnett square? And Skylar, I have no idea what a Punnett square is. Okay, Skylar, do you want to learn about the Punnett square so that you can help these parents? Yeah, I, I do that if we get to help the parents. And then you actually go through with that. They make pamphlets, PSAs, they go into doctor's offices. And once a Skylar sees that, it completely flips his paradigm. Now he starts learning. So that worked for Skylar. And then about sophomore year in high school, he was taking pictures of the sunrise and putting them on Instagram just for fun, for his buddies, that kind of thing. But he got a DM from and said, hey, can we use your picture at Time Magazine? And he said, Ricky, are you messing with me? And said, no, sir. This is actually Time Magazine. We'd like to use one of your pictures. It looks great. And he starts getting 5,000 followers a day for the next four or five weeks. So suddenly he's a sophomore in high school. He's on the news. He's got 28,000 followers on Instagram. He's got the blue check mark. And how did he do it? Like, I never taught him anything about a camera. He went and learned online on YouTube. He went to the library. He, checked, he told me he checked out a book. I was like, you never read my books that I gave you, right? Like, that's not fair. But completely self-taught, 
Right now he's yeah. out in California. He is a freelance photographer. He has clients like Monster Energy Energy Drink, Valvoline Motor Oil, Red Bull, like all these companies that you've heard of. And this is a kid that grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Like he grew up in generational poverty. There were drugs in his home that he did not bring in there. But now because, and he would say this, project-based learning helped him be a lifelong learner. So you can go and take his courses now, right? On how to be an Instagrammer. You can take his course on photography and he keeps getting paid for those things because he's figured out how to learn. It's completely changed his life. Yeah, it's like looking at how to learn or what can interest kids. I like how you pointed out the, do you want to help the parents learn more about this genetic disease? It's like getting that hook for the kid to be interested. Um, so uh, your company offers a lot of uh, workshops um, you know, when you go out to schools. Um, also, you offer PBL workshops for after school activities. Um, so specify kind of how a district or school might um, get involved and how they can use some of these after school activity uh, resources. Sure. So we've, we've got two options. This you can look at a summer workshop, a summer workshop. We've got a virtual option. Uh, we also have an in-person two day where you can bring a team. Because again, just like my colleagues kind of pulled me out of the trench, like how we started, you want to do this with a team. You want to have people you can collaborate. So the summer portion, there's a place you can come as a team. If your district or your school already knows that they're on board, we can come to your school and customize the training around whatever it is you guys specialize in. Remember, we're going to try to magnify learning, not replace it. So if you have a makerspace, we can make PBL units around your makerspace. If you have an after-school program that your robotics is really big, we can create PBL units around robotics. Right, Because what we do is you leave a workshop with a PBL unit around your content area and your grade level. And we're not going to give that to you. You're going to learn how to create it. So then you can do that after we've gone. And we always have virtual coaching connected to any of our trainings. Because just like we started with Dana, like you said, it's not a one and done. So mm -hmm. how, do, how can we help you throughout the year as roadblocks come up or different, different hurdles come up? How can we help you around those? So that's how we tend to typically interact with schools. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and I really like like the opportunities to use what people already have. Um, sometimes those things have been laid by the wayside. Like I, I've been in many schools that have maker spaces. They're kind of just rooms in some schools and, you know, nice. they might have you know, not, not be using it as much if uh, project-based learning and, or if makerspace activities aren't at the forefront anymore, something that might've been uh, prior to the pandemic. So I always, um, I always say that that's a principal's worst nightmare is yeah. you get a, a makerspace and then it's empty. So it's like PBL is absolutely the vehicle for that. We actually partnered with a group called first makerspace to like live this out, but you can literally make PBL units so the English teacher knows what to do in the makerspace, uh, okay. right? And the science teacher knows what to do when you get in that space. That, that's why it's not being used. We're just not sure how to do it. So yeah. if you can get a training where we specifically build, you know, even just one unit where you know what you're going to do when you get in there, you know, when you come back to the classroom, then you can replicate those things. You just need to help. You need to help teachers see that first unit in a makerspace and then amazing mm -hmm. things happen. Mm -hmm. That's great to get that up and running again. Um, well, how can education change? Like you are doing a lot uh, with your uh, company and helping uh, just uh, the classroom after school activities. But in general, when we're thinking about the demands of the workforce. We're educating our students for careers that don't exist right now. How can yeah. we um, change uh, what we're doing in our schools? 
Wow, that's a that's a profound question. It's, it's actually kind of where we started. Is is actually industry in an area of central Indiana is where we kind of started. That said, hey, your graduates need to be different. They need to have a different skill set if you want us to hire them. Like we want to hire locally, but we need them to be able to work in a team. We need them to be able to problem solve. We need them to have agency. And it's like, well, that's not in our curriculum map. Okay, well, we still need them, right? So it's like, how do you take that brave step of starting to grade collaboration, right? How do you take the brave step of putting employability skills right on the same level of your content standards? You can't get a, a we don't, we never ask anybody to go away from their content standards, right? All of our PBL units start with the standards and then you build those out. But we need to have lifelong learners like a Skylar who can adapt to, like you said, a career that's not even, doesn't even exist yet. Right. So it's really those skills that, you know, where you've got the employee, I like to call them employability skills, soft skills is, it's a same, same idea probably, but I, I wanted to move towards the, the workplace. How are we preparing our kids to, for the workplace? And the other t- phrase I use is we want our learners to move from passive to purposeful. I can passively sit in a classroom and get points. Right? I could I get a 4.2 and passively sit there. In fact, that's what I did when I was in school. I got a 4.2 by passively sitting there and putting the right words in the right blanks. Yeah. But it wasn't purposeful. If you can move me to purposeful, now I'm engaged. Now I'm learning, not just getting points. Mm-hmm. So that idea of just any little step that you can do, even if you're teaching traditionally, if you're not going to make a jump into PBL, you can still bring in a community partner. You can have the zoo come in. You can have a bank CEO come in. You know, as soon as you bring someone from the industry in, it changes the dynamic of your classroom. Now the why is being answered and you will see kids move from passive to purposeful. And that was going to be my next question, getting uh, industry leaders involved in supporting uh, the district or, um, you know, collaboration of schools. Um, Maybe would that be something it would be best for teachers and teams to work on when they're planning their units? Um, in terms of getting guest speakers, or should it be more a school-wide initiative uh, working with those community partners? Yeah, that's good. So I think there are some advanced moves. An advanced mm-hmm. move would be like a community partner breakfast. Okay. Your district says on, on a Friday morning, once a quarter, we're going to bring in, we're just going to invite community members in for breakfast from okay. 8 to 9.30. We'll feed them. We have learners come in. Learners come in and talk about all the awesome things that you're doing. Because right now, every listener... Like if you're a principal or a teacher, there are awesome things happening in your building that the public just doesn't know about, right? So they yeah. can't report on them. So when you invite community partners in for this breakfast, it's very doable for, for professionals to come in on a Friday morning and say, hey, boss, I'm going to go help the school for an hour and a half, right? And that's a great way for a district to jump in. If you're looking at an individual teacher or a team, I would just encourage you that's not as scary as you think. And people want to say yes. They want to help us in education. They just don't know how. I was actually just on a call this morning with, a group of entrepreneurs that want to help out, but they don't want to show up. And what happens if the bank CEO, for instance, shows up to your front office and says, hi, I'm here to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to make copies. Are you going to sweep? Like we don't have something for you right now. But if you looked at your unit and said, who is currently doing this work in the workforce? Who could we help or who cares about this? Any answer to that is a professional that you could bring into the classroom that would love to speak to your kids mm-hmm. to either introduce a unit or to maybe listen to presentations that your kids would have. So there's kind of an advanced piece there that you could do as a district, or I would encourage you, you know, as a team or an individual, just jump in. Cause once you do it, the change is just almost immediate. 
and, and palpable, like you'll do it again. Yeah. And I think once, yeah, once you started that partnership, um, then you'll want to bring them back the following year and, you know, work with a new set of kids. Um, in terms of just uh, trying PBL, which I know a lot of educators have tried and they've kind of dipped their toes in, why should educators make it a practice and why now? Yeah. Wow. You've got a lot of good, hard questions, Dana. So uh, I love it. Uh, when you try PBL, again, I would suggest trying a community partner. I would suggest trying voice and choice at the end of a traditional unit. Ask your learners, like, what went well? What would you improve on? And then do one of those improve-ons, whatever it is, right? Show your kids that you're listening. And I would say that community partners, voice and choice, those are core tenets of project-based learning. But at that point, you're probably not doing full-scale practice of project-based learning, right? So you're, you're dipping your toe in the water. If you're going to do project-based learning and you are like, you do those two things, you say, yes, I'm in, I really, really think you need to get some training. And again, I'm, I wrote a book called PBL Simplified. It's a good start. You can build a PBL unit off of that. That's the whole point that I wrote it. So if you're on your own, you can do that. Um, but when you're ready to jump in, you need to get some training. You need to hear from other teachers that have been in the classroom that have done the things that you're doing and about to do. And sometimes I say that and it feels like a sales pitch. And it's really not what it is. But there is a difference and there's a process at this point that you don't have to recreate. Right? Like We have the group contracts. We have planning forms. They're all free on our website right now. And so we can link to those, Dana. I'm happy to, and to get you started. Uh, but when you go full bore and you, you're, you know you're in, you need to get some formal training. One other, one other way that's just free to get started is to go visit a school that's doing project-based learning and just go watch what they're doing. Um, I'm a wanderer. So if I ever do a tour, I always wander off to the side and go talk to a student. I highly recommend that, right? Because students will give you the real answer of what's happening in a school. And you won't just get buzzwords. And even at a great school, you still want to talk to students. So ask them about project-based learning. What's really happening? And I've, we've got some ecosystems, some model schools that you can ask any student. And there's just some amazing learning and thinking that's happening by these students that you maybe think wouldn't be engaged, but they are. So go see it in person to kind of get that spark. And then you'll be motivated to, to keep going. Yeah, I think that's the best piece of like, really finding out from the students, like what got them from point A to point B. And um, like you said, uh, reach out to other people who are doing it, people that have uh, implemented this for years. Um, and I'll make sure I provide those links in the show notes. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your book, uh, PBL Simplified, that just came out. Um, if people wanted to use this maybe in their teams or um, district-wide as a book study, how could they go about that? And how could this um, be something that they could use alongside their planning if they want to uh, start PPL? Yeah, great. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, so PPL Simplified is written in the six steps of PBL. So as you go through the book, you can literally be writing a PBL unit as you're learning it. And if you're a principal, there's two chapters specifically for you on leadership and implementation, because those are things you need to think through really, really clearly as well. You don't want to just jump in and see what happens. You want to have a three-year plan or you want to, you want to be able to build your, your trained folks up. Um, in each chapter, there's a set of study questions and there's actually a link that goes directly to resources that will help you build out your PBL. So in, in, in the chapter around grouping, there's literally a link that takes you to the group contract that you can download and create and make your own. 
Most of them are not PDFs. You know, it's some kind of a Google Doc or a spreadsheet that you can customize so it works for you because we understand every every school system and situation is different. And Dana, I'll also send you, um, we've got a book study that we don't publicly put out, but for your listeners, we'll, we'll give you the book study. And it actually helps you as a team or a district walk through, answer questions together so that you can figure out what you really believe about it. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in being super transparent. Like if there are some things that you're not sure about, you need to talk about those out loud. You need to go ask some other teachers that are doing PBL. Like, how do you get all your standards in? Right? Like, that's a question. Like, how long should my PBL unit be? Like, I don't have time now. That's a great question. Like, bring your question like that to your book and to your book study. And then you all work it out locally. I'm, I'm happy to jump into the conversation too, actually, if I could help. But you can work that out locally because that's what we really believe in. We believe in the local school system, the local teachers that are extremely passionate about serving their kids. We believe that's what really changes education. If we can be the spark to help that, then that's where we serve. But we really believe that we have passionate educators on the ground that are that are doing the work. Yeah, I really like that because I think there are a lot of people who are looking for something, um, you know, now that they've had a few years of students uh, getting used to school again and they're, they're looking at something to spark, right? Uh, more interest in kids. They've seen a lot of disengaged kids uh, over the past few years. Um, they might not know exactly what it is, right? That they that they should be using or thinking about using. Uh, but I like how you said there's passionate people out there. It's just finding the right venue uh, to help the students learn and to focus the learning on students rather than being teacher-centered. Yeah, that, and that's and we see veteran teachers, you know, 20, 23 year teachers that grab PBL yeah. and like we have this testimonial, right? Because Ann said it in Missouri. She's like, where has this been my teaching career? It, yeah. It's the way that we want to teach. It kind of gives you the guardrails and the structure to go tackle some some big things, some some impact that you've always wanted in your classroom. But, you know, sometimes we get, I don't know, freaked out's the right word. You know, you see that teacher that does really neat thing. It's like, well, I don't, I don't want to put in 120 hours a week. Like I don't want to burn out. Yeah. And that's kind of what we figured out over the last decade is like we've built the tools so that we can start to bring this to early and late majority. It's like, this is exactly how you want to teach. So now we've got mm -hmm. some tools that can help you with that. Mm -hmm. Well, I've had a great conversation with you about just getting started with PBL, how it can really serve students, um, maybe some students that really have disengaged and uh, might have been disengaged for several years, um, and what people can uh, find in the workshops and the book study. Out of everything we talked about today, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to my opening trench story, which is funny because my answer should probably have PBL in it, but I don't. Yeah. maybe it does in the culture piece, but it's really about the local teachers like rallying around each other and looking at like, what are your, what's your goal and vision for your classroom? what's the goal and vision for my classroom and, and how can we help each other get there? And I, just, I, when I, I, cause I work with business leaders as well, like with some coaching and some leadership pieces, what I see in education that is so special is the relationships among teachers, right? They're so strong. And sometimes I think we overlook it as far as a place to, to grow or, or kind of uh, kind of one up as that spark that we need. I think if we could lean on teachers a little more and, and start to talk about, here's the vision I have for my classroom. Can you help me with that? And I think if I think if your audience remembers that, like it'd be pretty exciting. 
where can people connect with you, find you online, um, and follow your YouTube channel and your podcast? Yeah. If you go to, you can Google Magnify Learning and you'll, you'll find all the resources, a bunch of free resources there as well. You can also go to pblsimplified.com and there's a whole set of free YouTube uh, resources, three to five minute videos. They pop up in your inbox if you want them to. And what I always say I like about that is if I pop up on a rough day, you just say not today, Ryan, <laughs> but, but maybe tomorrow, like tomorrow's community partners. I'll listen to that one. Right. And it's, it's just kind of a, a bump of professional development, like when you're ready for it. So uh-huh. any of those, those pieces would be a great way to connect. Very great. I'll make sure to include links to that website. And you're also on Twitter, any other social media? Uh, Twitter's probably, I'm the most active there. So just at Ryan Stoyer on Twitter. And I put out, if you want stuff about like funny queso jokes, that's not me. But if you want project-based learning, that's me all day, every day. Right. So that's what we put out. Great, great. Well, thank you so much for being my guest on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was great learning more about Magnify Learning and uh, what how PBL can uh, better serve your uh, people's schools. Thank you for the opportunity, Dana. Thank you for your work and helping teachers out of the trenches that they're in. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.